Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust. Member FDIC. Big thanks to Arkansas Urology live once again. What a great year, and we're kind of wrapping it up today with Coach Cutcliffe. David Cutcliffe joins us now. Uh, my co-host, Justin Acre, is on the road. He covers UCA basketball, so he's out today. So, Chris, I just found my co-host, Coach Cutcliffe, was just putting a, on a show for us during the break. <laughs> uh, I, I think he could, until Wes makes him go leave us and go into the uh, inside to speak to everybody else, he can fill the next 30 minutes easily. I've got a story or two, you know, <laughs> after 47 years in the coaching profession and I think what's what's sad for young coaches today, everything's drastically changed, but the people that I was around, you know, you're talking about Paul Bryant, Frank Broles, Daryl Royal, and and around them more than people might know, of course Coach Bryant, yes, but, but people didn't realize how it influenced Johnny Majors worked for Frank Broles. So I got to know Coach Broles through him and I knew the Arkansas way, uh, Ken Hatfield, who I love, but the standard. I'm, you know, so I'm coaching punt return team. Oh, Lord. Coach, you can't do it good enough for Coach Majors. Kenny Hatfield's best safety man, best return man I ever had. This is how we did it, you know. Coach Broyles would be upset with you. And I said, I'm sure he would, you know. <laughs> I'm trying, you know. But uh, thank the good Lord that you had those influences not only on the field but in your life because they got into coaching for all the right reasons. Sure, competitive. Sure, going to beat you any way they could, but not at the expense of raising young men that would be better people. What are you doing these days? Working for the Southeastern Conference. Uh, I had retired, and Greg Sankey called me, the commissioner, and he said, I want to run something by you, okay? And he said, I want you to consider coming with us in-house, in the office. We've never had a coach. And obviously, it's a very difficult era. And I just think it can help the communication. And they didn't have a job. This had never existed. And so I thought about it, but I said, you know, I've, I've, my mother taught me this. You don't choose positions or places. You choose people in your life. That's careers as well. So I said, Commissioner, I, I can't do anything till I fly down there. If y'all fly me down where I can spend a day with your people. And when I did that, I, was, I told my wife I was really impressed with the people he had gathered there, young and some older and some been there a long time. And I met as many people as I could and had as many conversations. And so I thought, Maybe I can still make a difference in college football, just a different avenue here. And I, I'm trying to do that. The title they gave me sounds like Dwight Schrute's title in the office. I'm a special assistant to the commissioner for football relations. <laughs> so as soon as I said that to Dwight Schrute. <laughs> so um, for those of you that haven't watched The Office, that's kind of a, a, a joke about that show. But. It's been good. Uh, I go to all of our institutions. I make campus visits. I make game visits. I've been up to Fayetteville uh, numerous times. Uh, Sam Pittman is is quite a man and quite a football coach, and I know there's all all the talk that goes on that's associated with what we do, but he, he's a man that, that I can admire. I'm going to say that on this radio show and this great state 
uh, football state that it is. Um, and um, so I go, first place I go is the equipment room. People look at me funny. I said, if you've ever been around this business, you go to the equipment room to find out really what's going on. Tell me what's happening with the players in the locker room. Tell me what you see. Tell me what's going on with the coaches. Tell me, and they know everything. And so I have a thread of all our head football equipment people. Now 16, I've already included uh, much of the chagrin probably of Arkansas people, Oklahoma and Texas. But uh, And I went to those places. Uh, you know, relations is short for the word relationships. So I don't need, my ego doesn't need relationships with Coach Saban. I need to know the people that are in the building, and that's what I'm spending my time doing is trying to support all of those folks. We're talking with David Cutcliffe. Coach, you know you're big when they create a position for you. <laughs> I don't know about that. But well, I do. That That's awesome. It's kind of good to get a job with no job description. You write it yourself, <laughs> right? So what is it you try to c- contribute? What is it you want to do to help the SEC? Well, I want to be a conduit. Our coaches will tell me things they won't tell other people. And, I, you know, when I say, tell me your biggest problems, but I don't want to hear you whine. And I can talk like that to them. And yeah. I, I don't want them to whine. It's not helping the plight of college football. Um, give me some of the solutions you're seeing on a day-to-day that we can implement. So you, you look at it from a conference standpoint, but we also have to look beyond our institutional hat and our conference hat into the complete College football is in an interesting time, the most interesting time. And everybody has a different opinion. And when I hear some of the opinions that are somewhat uneducated on television, and to be real honest with you, as you climb the ladder and the model, everybody blames the NCAA. Well, the NCAA is us. The presidents are the bosses to those people, okay, But the higher you climb up the decision-making model, the less people are experienced with any form of athletics on a day-to-day basis. No boots on the ground. That's become more true in the area of directors of athletics. It's a business. And I'm not criticizing that. But in in that mode, my job is to maybe bring some boots on the ground thoughts and wisdom. How can we thrive And what I've done, I'm writing my own little project based on players. I don't, I'm not worried about coaches, and I tell them to their face. Um, I mean, I'm not at all. I'm worried about the effects on young people. And there's a lot of this that's bigger than people think in that locker room. That's why you go to the equipment room. There's a lot of this with 19-year-olds devaluing their education. I've always been one that I'm more worried about their education than I am about their degree. So when I would have my meetings, yeah, I would look at grades. But I wanted to talk and hear if they could talk to me as an educated person. And if they couldn't, they went on my bad list, and I I went to our academic people, like, this is not working. Mm -hmm. So influences and God forbid I had money to spend if I when I was 19. I, I couldn't have handled it. And so these are the serious sides of all of what you're watching right now. 
So instead of complaining about the NIL and what it's doing, how do we fix it? I, personally, I think you have to look at the calendar. I want you to think you're in the sports business, okay, deep in the sports business. We start talking about prospects and start trying to sign them or commit them when they're juniors. We've moved recruiting up, so all the official visits, this is why I look at it from a player perspective, are happening in the spring and in June of their junior year or completion of their junior year. Some of them are 16, most are 17, and they're going to come and go out and sample college life? Tell me what's right about that. And so you can take the calendar, and you may make a few folks mad. But And I'm, I'm not the decision maker. I'm suggesting. But if you take the calendar and slow it down, then maybe we can slow down the enticing of 16-year-olds with money to come sign with our school and their parents that maybe we don't have to offer. And then coaches can take a little more time like we used to in evaluating, yeah, can they play? Are they going to physically help us? And do they fit our culture? And you go back to really learning who they signed. Remember when people learned who you were going to sign in December? (laughs) You learned it then. Or February. Because, yes, even later. Or February. And we were recruiting our rear ends off. It was February at first, yes. But you signed people then that you believed in. And then we have to encourage our coaches to develop people in their program. We have coaches spending more time with the ones they're trying to get to come than the ones that they have. And I learned that in equipment rooms, and I'm not sharing where I hear it the most. But I have a real hard time with that. I was a coach that took developmental programs. I mean, we had nothing when we started at Ole Miss. We had less than nothing when we went to Duke. So as a head coach for 20 years, it was all about development, you know, all about development. And God forbid, but the pandemic hit us, and then when your development is hit in those kinds of programs, it's over with. You, you can't recover initially, you know. But those young people know that you were invested in them. Those young people know uh, that you care. Not in this league, but I had a coach actually say one time to me, "We don't," because I challenged him about running kids off that they deemed not good enough. And second year, if they weren't starting, you can recruit one better. He said, well, "We don't run them off. We, I just tell our coaches to ignore them. Don't talk to them." Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm, I, I, I was speechless. I had no comeback. I just walked away dejected. Uh, That's not what we do. You know what the word coach means, okay? It comes from a a Hungarian word, a city in Hungary called Koski, and they built wagons that ultimately, when they became some part of England in the English language, it was called a coach. So a person was waiting somewhere to get picked up by the coach and carried to a desired destination. What an awesome title. And I do use that in coaching clinics, and I have challenged particularly a lot of young coaches. And I guess I accept, I'm, I'm, I go to them, what the hell are you doing? You need Your job is this kid in this 
coaching opportunity. No. You take somebody's hope away, a young person, you may devalue the rest of that young person's opportunity in life. So I know I'm preaching, but I think people need to hear a bit about what is really important with athletes, with the players, and not just the football players, the basketball players, the swimmers, the track athletes. And, and we have to pool resources to make those other athletes have good experiences, both athletically and educationally. So, folks, slow down before you start raising cane at the NCAA. We've slowly done this to ourselves, in my opinion. When you talk to the guys in the equipment room, what is the NIL doing to the locker room? Oh, yeah, they, they, they don't like it. They, they have they've created a, a separation in the locker room, and they know a number of players that don't like the prima donnas that got the money, that got the big cars, that come in and do their thing, and they're, they're out. They're busy. They're busy with their money. They're, and I'm sure that's not every kid that's thriving in name, image, and likeness is that way. But I'm telling you, those guys know. And I, I said, tell, tell me about your walk-ons. And they said, well, Coach, they feel probably more removed than ever from from being important. Um, so many resources go to keeping the players happy to keep them out of the portal, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm sure you remember the reason young people walked on was a deep hope of trying to earn a scholarship, earn a scholarship. I'm not sure juniors in high school have earned a scholarship, but I know they haven't earned name, image, and likeness. Don't call it that. That is a recruiting enticement. They hadn't earned. There's no value in their name, image, and likeness. And I was in on the meetings when this was first talked about. I was serving. I was a glutton for punishment. I've always been on the AFCA board, and so I was serving on the football oversight committee when this was all going down. And I'm listening to them talk about this. And players would be their own independent agents, and they can get agents, and so it wouldn't cost the department anything, and they could do their own outside deals. And I had to stop the meeting. I'm the only coach on this thing. I said, excuse me, how many of you on this Zoom have ever coached? None. And I said, do you not realize that you're going to open up an opportunity to legalize cheating. Oh, no, that's that's not going to happen. I said, trust me, you let an agent get involved with a 16-year-old representing him and his parents. Oh, yes, there's going to be people delivering money for opportunities, and they haven't earned. I said, name, image, and likeness is just that. If my image, if somebody's building a game, using my name, my image, and my likeness, guess what? They should pay me a little bit for that, right? That's yeah. what it was meant to be, mm-hmm. but it needed restriction. And also not at the expense of the other players in that locker room. And people don't realize, they think, well, they got all this money. Football makes a lot of money, but it supports a lot of other things within, not just these coaching salaries. And, you know, I never had that 
opportunity what's happening out there we were <laughs> whole different level believe me and that's fine I, I i never got in it for that johnny majors paid me a little under four thousand a year when i got into it and he i was single and he said it's not healthy for a young single coach to make too much money oh okay <laughs> So two years later, and I wasn't making much more, and I was wanting to get married. I said, Coach Majors, I've never thanked you properly. He said, what? And I said, I think I'm the healthiest coach in all of college football. <laughs> so I said, please, I need, I want to get married. I need a little bit more money. And I think I went up to 12000 a year. And that's I had everything I needed. And I know people have heard this, and they get tired of this story. But I, but I think that has to be addressed by the coaching profession to some level and degree. I really do. Mm-hmm. Now, they're going to look at me like I got four heads. Yeah, but I was raised by my mother and daddy in a simple way, and I know the difference between right and wrong. And I don't begrudge anybody that hustles and makes a bunch of money, but I don't want people getting into that profession for that reason. Coach, it was a pleasure. Time to go. I knew you would uh, just fill this time with ease for me. You're awesome. It was was refreshing to hear you talk. I'm glad to hear you say that. And I understand some fans, what I'm saying. Some are listening and saying, that idiot. You know, that. and some are maybe thinking a little bit, which I hope you are, and then some may get it. And I'm not being negative about what's happening and about players receiving money. I'm not. I'm concerned about players. That's number one. And and we'll have another talk one day about the month of June. And no other month is so much significantly different for players than it used to be. I don't worry about coaches. I tell them all the time, they call me to whine, shut up. I'm not listening to you whine. You got people or you got more people than I ever dreamed of around you to solve the problem. So quit whining. So Whatever that's worth. All right, man. We're going to call you you in June. All right. Sounds good. We're going to get you on in June. All right. Coach, thank you so much. Absolutely incredible. If that doesn't get you want to stick around until 1215 to hear him in there. And I know, look, David's going to ask him about Eli and Peyton Manning and the Little Rock games and all that. But, um, man, that was – I don't know. I hope you were glued. I was glued to every word he said, and I thought that was fantastic.